Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. What you're about to hear is an interview I did at the second Monks in the West Conference, which took place in Collegeville, Minnesota, at St. John's Abbey. Reverend Hung Shur, the abbot of the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery, uh, consented to do an interview with me. He's about to publish his first CD, Buddhist Folk Songs, that he wrote. And uh, we covered uh, a lot of territory in this uh, interview. It's just a, just about an hour long. Um, so without further introduction, I'll let the interview unfold naturally for you. Uh, this is my interview with Reverend Hung Shur, the abbot of the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery. Uh, I'm speaking with Reverend Hung Shur tonight. We are in uh, Minnesota, and um, we are um, participating in the second Monks in the West Conference. And I'm going to ask... Reverend Hung Shur to just give a little uh, introduction to the monks in the West because he was uh, he helped organize uh, the first and uh, second and uh, it's uh, it's something to hear. So Reverend Hung Shur, thank you for consenting to speak with me and thank do you. this interview. And uh, can you just give a little history on the background of monks in the West? Right. Several years ago. Buddhist and Catholic nuns came together down in Los Angeles and organized something called Nuns in the West. And the, we were in touch with the Buddhist nuns and were friends with the Catholic nuns and heard from both sides that it was just terrific that the monastics from the Christian Catholics and from Buddhists of all different descriptions have a lot to share, have a lot to talk about. And we have been doing other kinds, we, we meaning the, the Buddhist monastics in the West, Western Buddhist monastics from various traditions, have been meeting with Catholics uh, in various formulations. But we'd never come together just as monks to talk about issues common to our respective traditions. And so we thought, what a good idea. Um, we had been celebrating... Uh, an event uh, called the Chan Zen Catholic Conference in Northern California. And one of the monks who is connected to, who is leader, leading, I guess he's chairperson of the Monastic Interreligious Dialogue, MID, a monk named Father William Skudlarik, uh, was in California and came by City of 10,000 Buddhas, which is our big monastic complex up in Northern California in Ukiah. Paid a visit, met the abbot, Abbot Hung Lu, and, and I was there. I'd known Father William from various conferences before, and we said, well, why don't we do monks in the West? So the idea was set, and we made a plan to do it in 2004 at the City of 10,000 Buddhas. And I guess we had about a dozen, six monks, six, six, six Buddhists, six Catholics who sat down together mm-hmm. and uh, spent uh, three or four days mm-hmm. talking it over and went to visit, I guess it was two or three days, actually, uh, hit upon a plan to talk about celibacy mm-hmm. as our first topic because this is central to the life of a monastic. Mm-hmm. So two years passed and lots of plans were laid and uh, we've now met, this is uh, 
last night before tomorrow's final gathering, and we've had a, a grand old conference, mm -hmm. and uh, we've spent uh, three days here, most, at uh, St. John's Abbey and St. John's University here in Collegeville, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And the it's been, uh, it surpassed our hopes, I think, in terms of building a kind of basis of trust, a brotherhood, yeah. and getting right down to the issues. Because these are serious monastics. The, I think the eldest in priest, the eldest ordained monk is 50 years in robes. Mm -hmm. and he's 70 years old. Yeah. And then we go on down, both on the Buddhist and Catholic side. So we have some uh, serious years in precepts here, people who've been ordained for half a century and not quite half a century, but quite a few on both sides. So it's been very rich. Mm -hmm. And I get the feeling that people are very happy with how it's gone yeah. and are ready to do it again. And are there any um, of, of the conversations we've had in the conference that, that, that stand out in your mind? Something you were surprised to hear? Uh, well, the just the topic itself is okay. not what you call popular. <laughs> Celibacy is, is viewed in some circles, I think uninformed circles, as being unhealthy, yeah. as being uh, kind of the last choice, even if you're... Uh, even if you're dysfunctional, even if you're burned out by the, the, the uh, standard description of love and romance, having a broken heart, some people think, is better than having no relationship at all. Mm -hmm. And this is a very uh, secular, worldly view. From the view of the celibate monastic, uh, there's, this is a high road to spiritual awakening. And it's also the road to compassion, where you are related to everyone in, in a very heart, deep, heartfelt way. So that's a stand, there's a standard view of, of celibacy that I think uh, we're, the, the monastics, East and West, uh, Asian and, and, and Western, uh, are familiar with. And this conference, it, I think, has mm, put the uh, has shine a, shown a light on that common misperception. And these are very healthy men who also choose to live alone. Monast monastery, monastic, has a root in monos, monokos, which is mm -hmm. alone in Greek, meaning So there's salt. a sense of aloneness rather than loneliness that's right. in the monastery. And alone, of course, is that's a kind of a, a pun, if you look at the word, all one. Yeah meaning a door to compassion, to yeah. true relationship, not an individual, selfish, personal relationship, yeah. but a universal compassion, a feeling of being one with. So anyway, hearing that was really discovering that across yeah. the board, Buddhist and Catholic alike, and intra-Buddhist as well, mm -hmm. was really gratifying. Another thing that, that caught my ear was um, having the abbot here, uh, of St. John's University speak very frankly about the Catholic uh, pedophilia scandal yeah. that really hit the fan in 2002 and it continues to to uh, bleed right now yeah. and certainly it needed to be to be outed and to get put it break drag it out into the sunlight and he did that mm -hmm. fearlessly mm -hmm. today uh, and very, uh, uh, I think, healing to have him be so frank, talking about the problem and the steps the Catholics are taking to set it 
straight. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when I heard that, I thought, ah, Catholic monasticism has a future. Yeah. It's like a, a boil being lanced. You know, if, if you don't lance the boil, it's going to fester and fester and may take your limb. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was willing to lance the boil, and this is a, an authority figure who uh, has suffered, I'm sure, as yeah. many you know, righteous, wholesome Catholics have done uh, by the, this problem. But uh, the conversations that resulted in, the, in our circle from having brought that forward were very uh, helpful in mm -hmm. understanding my own spiritual path and, mm -hmm. and the pitfalls and also the, the triumphs. So. One of the things I, I really liked uh, today was when you were speaking about um, um, the relationship between celibacy, samadhi, and prajna, mm. that, that they are all connected. Right. And, and I think a lot of people um, who are practicing meditation uh, and who may be listening to this podcast don't, don't may not see the connection. Could right. you speak a little about a, a bit about that? Right. The, from the Buddhist perspective, um, celibacy, and that word probably needs some unpacking too, it's just to say uh, a life where you as a monastic, male or female, promise to use your sexual energy in a, in a different way. That is to say, you're not going to get married. Mm -hmm. You're also not going to behave in a sexual way. In other words, you keep your sexual energy and use it in a way that transforms. So this, this notion of sexuality, that you need to find a mate before you're healthy, um, is true if you're going to make a family. Mm -hmm. And... Using and it's if you're doing it that way, it's very easy to go wrong, you know, just testified to by all of the the ways that uh, we go wrong with sexuality in society, with divorces and with you know rape and with uh, abuse and with broken hearts, et cetera, et cetera. So we were all clear on that. Um, how how easy it is to go wrong in a heterosexual homosexual world? It's very difficult to get a satisfying relationship and make it work. Mm -hmm. So, a monastic, it being a celibate, is not for everyone. And people mm -hmm. always come up with a criticism and say, you know, well, if everybody lived like you, you wouldn't be here. You <laughs> exactly. Know. And so, yeah, great. I'm sure glad my, my parents did have me, and, and yeah. the family stuck together through hard times, and that really counted. But given a wholesome family life and a strong foundation, certain individuals are willing to, um, to uh, walk the high road. In Asia, it's called a holy life. And say that, no, if, if I use that energy in a different way, skillfully, I can actually transcend suffering. And mm -hmm. this is actually the Buddha embodied this in his person, this, the historical Buddha, the prince who, who left the palace. He was married. He could have been king of India. Instead, he chose to, to use his energy towards wisdom. So to answer your question, the, the idea is that uh, the Buddha said... If you can not only not put your energy into a nuclear family, into a personal relationship, but instead turn that energy back, 
particularly avoiding five serious errors. And this is the skill is in his pointing out killing, stealing, lust, lies, and intoxicants are the ways we lose that energy most seriously and also get in trouble with the law, with society. Uh, he said, but if we can, instead of killing, stealing, lusting, and that's where the celibacy issue comes in, lies and intoxicants, if we can take that energy and transform it, then our minds can become still and pure. Mm-hmm. And those are two values, two, two qualities undervalued by society. Where do you hear yeah. anybody singing the praises of stillness and purity? Yeah. And yet, stillness and purity in the mind is the very thing that you have to use, that I have to use, that everybody in the world has to use to solve our problems. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. face our problems with a chaotic, turbid mind or with a still and pure mind. And when those problems rise, as they do normally in anybody's life, if we have still, quiet mind, i.e. samadhi, that's a word that means stillness and purity, concentration, then insight can be right there. And we know what to do to manage the least harm, the least harmful solution, and the most beneficial solution for everyone. So wisdom is that insight, and that's the result of stillness and purity. And the insight would be a very important liberating factor? That's, according to Buddhism, or is it the liberating factor? Well, it's it's the third step of the three, which okay. then leads to compassion. Mm-hmm. So that would be a liberating factor from the point of view of my tradition called the Mahayana, which yeah. really values the bodhisattva path, the path of the awakened being, okay. and points us towards that and models that for us. So anyway, the idea is that another way to translate this, uh, this, this series of steps is character, concentration, insight. Mm. So who you are as a person is the first step of the Buddhist path. And if you're a monastic and you say, no, I can, I can, I can avoid having to have a personal, special love of my life and be patient with that pulling away from the cultural drift for until samadhi results, until my mind is still and quiet, not turbid and chaotic as it's been and will continue to be at some points in my life. Sure. Day to day, thought to thought sometimes. But I've had the flavor of samadhi that results from concentration, from meditation. Mm-hmm. And that oneness, that sense of wholeness and identity in myself that opens up into identity with others is a flavor I never got mm-hmm. from a personal romantic relationship that's high today, low tomorrow, misunderstood tomorrow, pissed off the next day, <laughs> infatuated the next exactly. day, yeah. head over heels the next day, lonely, adrift, bored, brokenhearted the next day. Yeah. That That's a flavor of its own, mm-hmm. and it makes great literature, it makes great theater, it makes great songs, yeah. but this is the Buddhist description of suffering. Exactly. And of ignorance, the source of ignorance, as a, as a clinical description of ignorance. Uh-huh. So anyway, to have that sense of samadhi that, that can result, anybody can reach if they quiet their mind down and, mm-hmm. and follow those rules, then this, the insight that results is priceless. Yeah. And that's, that's when, you know, you say, boy, that, if, if you met somebody who has that insight and that wisdom, mm-hmm. they, you can, you can, change your life by five minutes conversation with somebody like that because why they're grounded Mm -hmm. they're clear Mm -hmm. they see through the surface Mm -hmm. they understand stuff they can look at a branch tip and tell you where the root was Mm -hmm. they can see the root and predict where the branch tips will go 
because wow. they see cause and effect. Yeah. And yet, nothing magic about them. It's just the mind sharpened by samadhi and calmed and quieted, purified by precepts, and then lit up by the light of wisdom. And that's the promise. That's the deal. But to get in the ballpark, you have to, what a friend of mine said, make a soul sacrifice. <laughs> Which is to say, you say, yeah. no, I'm not going to you know, look for the love of my life now. Maybe I've done that before. That's fine. This is my chance to follow the Asian, Asian tradition, say the Tao, mm. this, this path that opens into stillness and wisdom. And I'm going for it. You know, yeah. so celibacy. This it sounds like this word is so scary to so many people. Yeah. It's a question of how are you going to use your energy? What are you going to do with your time? You know how much time it takes to get a relationship on its feet and keep mm -hmm. it going, and then to keep it going, keep too. it yeah, going yeah. so hard. Yeah, and even then things come up. You know, she changes. Yeah, and you, know, you change. You change. Yeah, and so, yeah. or the culture, or neither one of you changes, but she dies, <laughs> or you, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. All of those heartbreaks are yeah. built into the relationship. Okay, so that's fine. Nothing wrong with the relationships. One important part about this conference that I liked so much was nobody said women are bad. Right. Women are evil. Women are the problem. And women don't say, oh, you men are the problem. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the monastic world, it's that, no, women, women are necessary. I came from one. You know, I'm t deeply related to women. But I also want to say thank you to the women who gave birth to me and nurtured me by aspiring to something higher. Yeah. aspiring to something wiser and deeper that then can really help people, other people get through their suffering and trouble. Mm -hmm. That's what the Buddha did, and I aspire to do that. I'm, I'm inspired by it and want to imitate it. So the, your original question was, what's the relationship between precepts, samadhi, mm -hmm. and wisdom, between mm -hmm. character, concentration, and insight? And it's that samadhi, or the, the celibacy is not something separate from that. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you take on because you're you know, uh, you're some sort of a masochist or you're just uptight and repressed. No, in fact, it's, it's necessary to get you in the door so that you can actually light up inside. And if you hold those precepts really well, don't harm people. You're not selfish with your desire, That's you right. know, encroaching on other people. But instead, you take that energy and skillfully use it in your meditation. Your mind gets quiet. Your six senses cool off. Mm -hmm. Things, you see the patterns. Things mm -hmm. show up. You understand. Now, if I could just add something for clarity, that um, we've, we're part of a monastic conference. We've been involved in it for the last couple of days. Uh, and, and so we're thinking like monastics. Right. And there will be a lot of people who listen to this podcast who aren't monastic. And they'll say, after just hearing what you said, does that mean that I can't become enlightened if I have a girlfriend? Or if I'm married. Now, what would you say to them about that? That's, I didn't say anything of the sort. Exactly. What I said please, was, please. how do you use your time? Exactly. How do you use your energy? Okay. has nothing to do with the relationship. Okay. But if you want to, you know, if I was your girlfriend and you said, you know, well, I'm going to go cultivate the Buddha's path, I would say, I'm going to find another boyfriend. Why? Because if you're really going to do what the Buddha did, you've got to do it full time. Okay. Okay, now, that's, let me qualify that, too. You don't have to do it full-time. You can do it on the weekend. Mm -hmm. But you know what? It's going to be frustrating. It's always going to be one step forward, one step back. Okay. One step forward, two steps back. Why? Okay. Because during the week, when you're not meditating, if you're very skillful, it makes no difference. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. But until you, before you get to that place of skillfulness, 
you have to work at it. You have to work on your mind. Mm -hmm. Habits rule. So where do you use your eyes? Where do you use mm -hmm. your ears? Where do you use your heart? That's the issue. So what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is what you're talking about is the most direct path to enlightenment. That, that if you decide to have a relationship and a child and, and all those things that most people have, that it's the potential for enlightenment is still there. We all have Buddha nature. But it may take a little longer or it may take a couple more lifetimes because the effort's not being put in the same way as a monastic. Well, I, I don't see other lifetimes. I'm just working with what I have in front of me. And okay. again, I wouldn't say that either. What, what you, I wouldn't quote what you said. I would say it's a question of how you use your energy. Okay. Where, where does your time go? You know, uh, I, I look at myself. Where, where was my time before computers? Mm. You know, I had hours every day more available to me before I sat in front of a monitor and started <laughs> reading my email and, and trashing my spam. You know? Me too. <laughs> so there you go. There's Take yeah. that time away. Okay. And then relationships are hard to do in any case, in the mm -hmm. best of cases. Uh, things are, you just don't really know what that person across from you is thinking. Exactly. You know, and she doesn't know what you're, on your mind. And yeah. you have your secrets and you have, you know, and everybody's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, this is a hard time to do relationships. Yeah. Be they corporate, be they for business, be they partnerships, be they musical, you know, bands, your, your basketball buddies. It's hard to get it. It's hard to keep relationships together in this time. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, if you're going to do a relationship, do it really well. Give it what it needs to make it work. Um, can you make relationships a spiritual practice? Um, I think they're different things. Okay. Why? Because Buddhist meditation is going to be successful or obstructed based on how well you use your six senses. Mm -hmm. Where are your eyes going? Are you looking at the, the form of your beloved and the face? Well, that's terrific. That's the Song of Songs. It's in the Bible. But uh, you won't be able to... If, if you can do that and then detach from that and not care particularly about that, that complexion and that eye color, and any, any complexion and the eye color is the same to you, well, maybe you can, in fact, cult use you know, relationship as the path. But people attach. Mm -hmm. we, we love the things we love. We are averse to the things we hate. Yeah. You know, it's, right. I know that. Yeah. And so that's right away, you know, something's going to please you, your mind is moved. Mm -hmm. So you can't use your eyes as skillfully as somebody who is not in that relationship but is using the same method. Mm -hmm. So I, I encourage lay people to cultivate. Cultivate something appropriate to a householder's life, to a okay. relationship life. How do you use your energy? Yeah. You know, for a layperson to try to cultivate the way a monastic cultivates and then be frustrated when they don't get somewhere or demand that they be given the equal treatment is the equivalent of saying, well, I know third grade math. I want to be considered a nuclear physicist. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not there yet. Yeah. Why? You didn't do the work. Yeah. But the potential to do the, the work. The potential is always there. Always there. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. And, and class, as you suggested, does it take more lies. Classically, that's the way the sutras described it. Okay. That the, the Buddha is said to have taken three great asankhya, countless eons, to become a Buddha. Yeah. So, you know, how much the more so us in the, in the, in the age of the internet and, <laughs> and network TV. That's the truth. 
Well, speaking about Internet, network TV, and media, this is a, a, a very much a change in direction of our conversation. One of the things that excites me about your life, besides your practice, and it's, is the fact that you've gone in a really interesting direction uh, for a monastic. And, and, uh, and that direction is, is you have found, and th- these are my words, you, you have found music useful in disseminating the Dharma. Mm. And, this is, and, and there seems to be something about music that uh, doesn't need a translation that mm. anyone from any country can understand mm. good music, perhaps. I know we've, we've talked before about this, and you mentioned when you moved into the monastery, you had a guitar. And you used to be uh, in college. You, used, you, you actually were part of a group, and you would sing, and, and it was a great fun and I'm sure fulfilling for you to do mm-hmm. that. But you decided to give that up when you went into the monastery. Right. And, uh, but now you've picked it up again. Right. And what I'd like to ask is what was the turning point for you? Okay. Good question. Uh, I was a folk singer back okay. in the 60s, like many of my friends. I made a living that way for a while, put myself through school. And it was, as you say, very satisfying. Um, I... I really enjoyed the process, and I sang with some terrific singers. And in the in the Detroit area, uh, like South Central Michigan and Toledo, Ohio, in that area, so very there were lots of folk singers around, and we were just one one of the the many. But it was really fun, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. And so when I became a monk, I entered the monastery with my Guild guitar, my D40, bought from Manny's in New York City, and oh, the wonderful guitar. And uh, part of the Shramanera precepts, uh, the novice precepts that one takes to be a monk, is that you will you promise not to sing, dance, play musical instruments, or watch or listen to di- entertaining diversions that way. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, the story goes that Master Shrenhua, late Chan Master Shrenhua, was my teacher in religion. Uh, was a very wise monk and a wonderful teacher of, of young men and women, including young Western men and women. And so I came in the monastery full of these ideas. I owned two Nikon cameras, a Volvo, and my guild guitar. That was my last possessions. So I, I knew Buddhist monks had to give up their attachments. You know, if I had this headstrong idea, kind of like a martial marine coming in there. So I sold my Volvo at a huge discount loss and sold my Nikons at, you know, for, I was paying back student loans at, for, for way less than, than they were worth. And, and I put an ad in the San Francisco Chronicle to sell my Guild guitar at a ridiculously low price. And the ad appeared in the morning and the phone rang in half an hour. And this guy says, Guild guitar, 300 bucks, don't sell it, I'm coming over. So, you know, so uh, he he did. He showed up like 30 minutes later. The doorbell rang. I'm here at Gold Mountain Monastery in the Mission District in San Francisco. And as the doorbell rang, sure enough, it's this guy who's coming to buy the guitar. The telephone rings, and it's Master Shrenhua calling from upstairs in the monastery. Hmm. He says, uh, Kuo Jan, Shrenhua, what are you doing? I said, Shrenhua, I'm selling my guitar. Why are you doing that, Kuo Jan? (laughs) <laughs> I said, sure, it's an attachment. i got to get rid of my attachments. I said, I'm, I'm going to become a monk. Stupid, <laughs> says Master Shrenhua. I said, sure, who? He says, 
in America, this is not China. He says, Americans understand music. He said, a bhikshu who could play music would be very useful in the future. You could use this to teach people the Dharma. But Shrivwood's an attachment. I got to get rid of it. I got to get rid of my guitar, Shrivwood. Otherwise, I can't leave home. Stupid. <laughs> Hangs the phone up. So I sold it, disobeying my, obviously my teacher was telling me something, you know, and I followed my headstrong idea of what a monk's supposed to be like, right? Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I sold it, I regretted it. I knew right away that was a mistake, mm. but I still went ahead and did it. So for 25 years, I didn't touch a guitar. Wow. I was learning Buddhist music. And Buddhist music has instruments, percussion instruments, wooden fish, the bell, the handbell, the drum, lots of instruments, you mm -hmm. know, lots of percussion. And so I learned those techniques and enjoyed them. I probably went as deeply as any Westerner has ever gone into Chinese Buddhist liturgical music and developed a, a real liking for it. And uh, I hope to preserve it as, it come, as music comes to the West. So um, the story goes on that I was uh, in the monastery in Berkeley where I live. We host other groups. And a teacher came and who's there every Thursday night uh, and celebrated his 50th birthday. And he too had been a folk singer. He's the same age as I am. And he, on his, they were celebrating, his, all his group was celebrating his birthday as a Buddhist teacher. And uh, he pulled out his old guitar and sang a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song. Wow. And I thought, and this is a very kind of uh, rambunctious group of Berkeley, mostly psychotherapists. And, and everybody's got opinions and talking, and, you know, 50 people, 51 opinions, you know. And so as soon as he played the first couple notes of the song, everybody turned into one heart and one mouth, singing mm -hmm. in unison, mm -hmm. teach your children well. Mm -hmm. no, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, boy, that is a powerful expedient means. And my conversation with the abbot came back at that point, and I thought, I'm going to get a guitar again. I want to write Buddhist music. And further, I want to bring over the Chinese liturgy that we're doing and translate it. Mm -hmm. And I want to preserve the glories of the Chinese Buddhist tradition, they're not going to survive in America. Americans want Western music, Western musical modes. So those three things, new Buddhist songs, translated liturgy, and preserve the Chinese liturgy just because it's so wonderful and it has more to give to us. So those are my three ideas. And in the process, I've written now mm, 30, 40 songs. Wow. And uh, put, some on, put some on a CD for the very first time. In July of this year. And the, now that's one of the things, too, I find exciting. But when you put together your Buddhist songs, and just for people who play music, do you, do you go and use old melodies, add new words? Do you create the melody in words yourself? Both. Both. I okay. really um, like to, to adapt roots, melodies, and modes. Okay. And Because why? Uh, everywhere Buddhism goes... It changes the, the new culture it meets and is changed by it both. Mm. Historically, from India to China, Korea, Japan, from that's the northern tradition, Mahayana, from India to Sri Lanka, Thailand, Cambodia, Laos, Burma, that's the Theravada, the southern tradition, and then north, Nepal and, and Tibet. Um, those cultures have all been changed by Buddhism and have produced their own distinctive Buddhism. 
So uh, it's not going to be any different in the West. And so we are, in the West, we swim in music. We are just surrounded by all these wonderful heritages. So I wanted, as if I'm going to be a kind of a catalyst, or you could say a bridge to bringing authentic Asian Buddhist music over to the West, I want to graft it onto the root traditions mm-hmm. of Western music. And we are, we're a young culture. We've only, we haven't been around 300 years. China's been around 5,000, for example. Yeah. They're the same, longer. So in our 300-year history, we've had a rich influx of African-American music. We've had a rich influx of Celtic music from the British Isles. Mm-hmm. And we've also... Uh, We've come to a Native American tradition that was here way before us, rooted in the soil and the wind and the water and the animals mm-hmm. of North America, this continent. So I've studied uh, African American music and what became, how it merged and became the blues, and Celtic music through Appalachia, old time music, and also Native American music. So some of these tunes just emerge. I'll I'll pick them out and and put translated Chinese Buddhist lyrics or write new lyrics for them and then later find out, oh, that was actually a blues riff that, you know, that was, uh, I heard it from Kerner, Glover, and Ray, you know, or I heard this from, uh, this is a, uh, a, uh, uh, this is a Blind Lemon Jefferson song that Peter, Paul, and Mary picked up, you know, and I heard it early back. Or this is a Native American anthem Mm. that I learned from the singing of Joanne Shenandoah and then found Guanyin Bodhisattva lyrics that matched it perfectly. Mm. Or sometimes they just they come out of the air. Okay. I, I love melody. Melody is magic. Yeah. And when you can land a melody, you feel like you've actually been a conduit for something that was waiting to take form. Yeah. Now, I, I've been to your website. Uh, could you share with everybody your, your, your blog if they'd like to come visit your website? Right. There are two ways to get there. Okay. One way is to open your search engine. If it's Google or Yahoo, type in Dharma Forest. Dharma Forest. D-H-A-R-M-A, Forest. Two words. Type it in, and the blog will come up in in the search engine. You click on it. The formal address, which is longer, is paramita, Uh P-A-R-A-M-I-T-A, paramita dot typepad, T-Y-P-E-P-A-D dot com, C-O-M. So paramita dot typepad dot com in the, the... address line. Mm-hmm. That's HTTP, www, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and another uh, way to go is to type Dharma Forest okay. into into your search engine. Okay. And that'll pop it up. And, and the reason I bring that up is because you have some wonderful pictures about the process of making your first CD. Right. And I was wondering if you could talk about that, how how the people came together. There was a wonderful picture of you practicing in the in, in the monastery. Right. It's sort of an overhead shot, right, right. and you have all the instruments laid out. And right. what was that like? How did you pick the people? What tunes? I mean, you said you've written 35, 40. Which mm-hmm. ones seem to be the most important ones for your first CD? Okay. Well, since I just gave you that address, let me give you one more. Okay. The, the CD is going to... You'll find news of it on the blog on Dharma Forest. Okay. And then the count, you have to scroll down to find that. But if you want to, for people to go directly to the website that will have uh, all the tracks on it and news of it and photos, go to dharmaradio.org. Mm. D-H-A-R-M-A radio. Dharmaradio, one word, dot okay. org. That's, okay. that's the URL, www. 
dharmaradio.org, D-H-A-R-M-A radio. And that's where the CD is going to be distributed from and hosted from. Okay. And so you can actually stream it at that point. It's not there yet. We're still doing okay. some tweaking, but it's coming. And you'll find news of it there and, and updates, of, and then soon it'll be available. Okay, the, the issue is that I have, I have a musical community in Berkeley mm. that is very nurturing and very uh, supportive. And, and um, one of the, the people who is who's central to it is a man named Josh Michael. Josh is teaching me banjo, clawhammer banjo. Josh knows roots music. He publishes uh, Appleseed Records and really has an ear and knowledge of roots music. And he's in touch with uh, many of uh, America's finest roots musicians, Jody Stecker and uh, Martin Simpson, who's not American, but Martin is uh, in England, is the uh, one of the the finest purveyors of of uh, Celtic and uh, Northern European uh, folk traditions forward, and uh, also Martin Carthy. I met all these people through Josh, and Josh has a good friend named Henry Kaiser, and Henry is a music producer and, and musician as well. Uh, he's an avant-garde guitarist, and Henry has produced uh, something like two hundred records and has played on 300 records and he's seriously a musical genius and Henry uh, likes the music that I make. Josh introduced me to Henry and I played my songs for both of them and they said well let us volunteer to put you up to get you going and so we found Fantasy Studios mm. in Berkeley and yeah. and through Josh which is Fantasy is the home of you know Santana yeah Creedence Clearwater Revival yeah yeah and also you know Thelonious Monk Miles Davis have all recorded you know they're Bill Evans and so anyway that's that's very high stratosphere high altitude company you know yeah. I'm a folk singer from Ohio <laughs> you know Buddhist monk plays the guitar but anyway very generous people helped me out and so we found musicians including uh, Alan Sanaki Mm-hmm. who's is the, one of the founding members of Bluegrass Intentions. He's the Zen master, head of practice at Berkeley Zendo. So here's another Berkeley Buddhist musician, uh, bluegrass musician. And Alan was very generous in offering his guitar and his voice and his mandolin playing. And uh, it was a real thrill to get Paul Hostetter to come up from Santa Cruz. Paul is one of Northern California's premier music repairmen. He also builds violins, and he repairs and builds string instruments. And many people go to Paul first for their repairs. He has He's uncanny with his repairs. Um, he used to also build Santa Cruz guitars. And oh, yeah. Paul came and played 12-string guitar, mandolin, and guitar. And Paul's wife, uh, Robin, Robin Petrie, uh, played hammer dulcimer. Uh, the two of them, they're musical, they're magic music. You know, Robin plays in the Bay Area, and... Celtic and, and Turkish Santur, the you know, wonderful hammer dulcimer. And uh, Alan called and said, I have a friend whose uh, name is uh, Brian. He said, uh, you got to get Brian to come over on fiddle. So uh, Brian is a fiddle player for Dan Hicks and his Hot Licks. I've heard of that. played for yeah, yeah. 14 years with them and yeah. he's now taking care of his mom who has Alzheimer's. And hmm. So uh, Brian was very kind enough to come by and, and join in, sit in. So we just uh, rehearsed one night at the monastery, and I I had uh, sung mm, 30 songs for Henry Kaiser, who's the producer. 
Henry, by the way, produced all of the music for the movie Grizzly Man, yeah. that recent film with uh, Richard Thompson. Mm -hmm. And Henry's the producer of that, all of the soundtrack of that film. So he, he at Fantasy. So he took me into Fantasy and said, this one, not that one. This one, not that one. I like that. What about that? Uh, sing it again. Not that one. This one. So we sorted through these 30 songs and got down to about 18. Okay. And rehearsed them the night before. Uh, Fiddler came in and just did them on the spot, you know, and, and uh, sat in. So uh, we recorded in two days at Fantasy. Took about 12 hours. Got 18 tracks. It went so smooth. Uh, everybody was just in a, in the mode and in the mind, and and it was very uh, harmonious and high. You know, everybody felt energized by the experience and. It was my first time in, in a in a, uh, in a studio at all, first time before a mic. But I I was so happy and, and enjoyed it so much that there was no sense of nervousness. Or mm -hmm. um, now listening, having recorded it in J July, and listening now, there's a lot that I would do differently. Uh -huh. But for a first experience, you know, I have looked few regrets. Now there, since then we've uh, I've asked a couple uh, musically skillful, some great ears to listen to my my cuts, and they have heard two tracks that they have told me to redo. So I think we're going to tweak it again and uh, hope to have it out by late November, December. No, we were talking about that a couple of days ago, and right. to me this is a fascinating yeah. uh, insight in, in into music right. as well as uh, spiritual music or music of the Dharma. And... and uh, could you go into just a little detail of what was wrong with those sure. songs? Two, two of the songs are, in fact, they were, uh, some people picked them out as the strongest songs of the 18. By the way, the 18 got cut down to 15. We just decided the three of them were not strong, and so we, we, 15 is a lot for a CD. So. It is, yeah. So of those 15, two songs that, that were picked out by other people who were doing the sequencing, including the engineer, uh, who's a, a man named Stephen Hart, who's who is the chief engineer at, at uh, Fantasy and a wonderful musician, great ears. You know, he's, he's the man at the board, and he's uh, brought so many artists into the world. You know, he's kind of the godmother of all these, this music, or the midwife. Anyway, Stephen and Henry picked out these two songs as uh, the strongest. But as I listened to them, and then I, I had another monk listen, and he said, um... You know what? Those two songs are worldly good. For a monastic, there's a problem there. Hmm. And I listened again, and they were right. And I had a, a very talented musician, a woman, who knows, she's, she's a concert pianist and really knows music. And she's also a Buddhist. And she listened and she said, uh, you know what? She said, guys won't hear this. Women are going to hear this, these two songs, and they're going to move their emotions. She said, you're singing not like a spiritual father, but like a boyfriend. Mm. And I, th I think I might have blushed, you know. <laughs> and uh, I thought, she's absolutely right. And Henry didn't hear that. And he was listening because Henry doesn't think like a monastic. I mm -hmm. think like a monastic. Mm -hmm. And he's counting on me to control my, you know, to produce the sound that I want. Sure. But I used to do Broadway musicals as well before I was a folk singer, during the time I was a folk singer. And so here I am in front of the microphone, five musicians around me. The tape is rolling. I want to give it my best. Right? Sure. 
Well, the old habit. Mm -hmm. Step forward. And so I pinned my friend down. I said, well, what do you mean women will hear this? And she said, well, you're using diminuendo on these. You're hitting the note and then pulling off it. You're going like, look at where life leads. Mm -hmm. Like that. And she said, that's, that's emotional. And it's a hook. Mm. It's, it's a trick that does very well if you want to insinuate your way, if you want to seduce someone, you know. And I thought, she's absolutely right. And I was singing a blues. Yeah. It's a blues song. It's the yeah. only blues song on the album. Yeah. And I, th I just kind of thought, i got to do it again or maybe pull that one off the record. Mm. Because if, as a monk, here, monks sing all day long, but there's a monk's way of singing that conveys purity at the same time it communicates the song. Mm. If you're singing praises of the Buddha, you're not seducing. You're mm -hmm. not seductive. You're not using diminuendo. And I was being really careful not to use vibrato because, you know, Frank Sinatra yeah. can use vibrato all over the place. And he's also, he's so good. At, Frank Sinatra is a fantastic vocalist. able to, to sing, emphasize, hit, hit the stress before the note or slightly after the note to convey the emotion of the song. And I was trying to strip all of that out of my voice as I sang so that the lyrics and the melody were there and it was strong, but it wasn't sexy in the least. Because that, for me as a monk, especially a senior monk, that would be a defeat. Yeah. That would, no matter how good the song is, that would still, it would, it would cheat the listener mm -hmm. into being just like any other song. Although it's got Dharma lyrics, yeah, but the message is, you know, this monk is, is moving into your heart, you know, in a, in a way that's not going to get you to resolve on Odi, on awakening. It's going to make you like it so you'll attach to it, mm. you know, which yeah. is cheating for a monk. Yeah. That's, not, that's not pure, you know. Yeah. So singing straighter, that's not the word either. Not to take the musical values out of it, but to sing it from a pure heart uh -huh. is the goal. Okay. And when I heard those two songs from that criteria, I thought, oh my, I heard it immediately. Wrong. Got to do it again. The other song is uh, it's actually a sutra. It's the song of the Buddha's, uh, they call it the song of victory in the Theravada tradition. It's, it's called Craving is the Builder of This House. Mm. And I like the melody. That's a case of a melody came out of space to, to match the translation. But uh, the song has a range that's slightly out of my, it's not in my comfort range. So to hit the high notes, I had to punch it up. I didn't want to go flat. Yeah. And so I gave it more oomph, and you hear it. Mm. And it, it's, as a result, it's like I'm using a more masculine, gendered voice than... I want. Okay. And I only heard it after listening with those ears. You know, I mean, there was something slightly off about it because it sounds like a young Elvis Presley a little bit. Oh yeah. Without you know, not Jailhouse Rock, but yeah. um, it's this got that quality, or and rather, it's Righteous Brothers quality. That's that's closer. Oh, to Oh, one it. of my favorite. Groups. Oh, me too. Yeah. But yeah. for a monk, but for you a know, yeah. you're my soul <laughs> and my heart's inspiration. <laughs> can't do that as a monk. It, it doesn't you know? work. No. And, and my song goes in that direction because it's got that quality. It's kind of a, 
uh, it's a gospel sounding mm. the Buddhist song of success you know craving is the builder of this house yeah. oh house builder I see you at last you'll build no house anymore mm. your ridge pole shatters your rafters all fall down my mind realizes the unborn yeah. and craving comes to an end mm. you know it's easy to go craving comes to an end wrong can't yeah. do it that way you know, it's got to be more like craving comes to an end, like that. I can and hear the difference. It's it's a difference, and I'm not warm, and it sounds funky, but yeah. in when the, when I heard those tracks with that context, I thought, do them again. Yeah. I don't want to release a, an album that you know may go out to a thousand listeners and have to think gee, I really hope they don't hear it wrong, or I really wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. You know? So we're going to go back, do it again. It okay. was the first experience, and kind of tweak it a bit. The other songs are okay. They're funky and down-home, homemade, and okay. kind of jug band, and, and but they, they're all from an innocent heart. So okay. I want the, the Dharma to come across from an innocent heart. Then the music will, you know, it'll be there. Now, I have, have you decided whether you're going to sell this or give it away? Here's what we're planning. Okay. Um, I'm not going to make money. There's okay. no way that, you know, what would I do if I made money? Yeah. So what we're going to do is say um, we want it to go virally, to, you know, spread like a virus. Uh, and we're going to use the Internet, definitely. We will make a, a, a product. You'll have a CD in your hands and a, probably an environmentally friendly case, not a glass, not a jewel case. Mm. But what we're going to say is we'll probably price it something like 10 bucks or 12 bucks or maybe not even that, and say, if you would like to own a copy of this CD for your very own, please do a good deed. Go out into your world and do something meritorious, wholesome, and then send us the story. Email in the story what it was and what happened, and we'll send you the CD. And if you would like to donate for it, then 50% of the profits from your donation will go to the United Religions Initiative, to the URI, so that religions can, uh, we can find peace among religions. Because mm. the URI is an organization I work with that okay. is determined to end religiously motivated violence. Wonderful. And to bring cultures of peace, justice, and healing to the earth and to all living beings. So, 50, and URI is struggling. You know, yeah. interfaith is having a hard time during the Bush administration. Yeah, you know? it is. So we'll, um, 50% will go there. And uh, meanwhile, if, if people will send me stories of the deeds that they did, so it's good karma music. It's you mm. know, music for karma, the oh, wholesome deeds. Yeah. That's the idea. Well, and the Internet allows idea. us to do that. And what was your inspiration for that? Had you heard about somebody else doing that? Yeah, actually, well, okay. no, it was just a conversation with a friend of mine named Nipun Mehta, who is uh, the guiding light behind Charity Focus, this social service organization inspired by Gandhi. Oh, okay. And the idea of, you know, give me money for this music. The music's not that great. It's, it's, a be it's the beginning of Dharma music, and yeah. it's, it's rough and raw, you know, it's okay. homemade. And uh, I, it, the idea that uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask people to pay for it, uh, but I would um, not embarrassed at all to ask people to, if they're inspired by it, to go out and make the world a better place. Yeah, what a wonderful idea! Wow. 
Well, you you have a guitar here, and I know it's late. We're we're talking uh, t quarter after ten, mm -hmm. and for regular people, that's not too late. But we've been in conference all day long. Would would you be willing to do something to give people bet. a preview? Oh, sure, I'd love to. And uh, let me see here. Um, how about um, something that you'll never hear anywhere else? Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, we have this is a. Uh, there's a, a child ballad. Child was the collector of English ballads. That's a child, not children. Child, okay. but a, a collector, a musicologist named Child. What was it Henry Child, who collected uh, many of the. Uh, ancient ballads in, in England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, and in, in the West. And among them was a song called A Cruel Mother. Hmm. And uh, it's also called Down by the Greenwood Sidey. It has a bunch of names. It's floated around a long time. It's, it's, uh, but it's got a remarkable melody. It's got a haunting sound. And I, uh, on this album, I have three songs that I consider not anti-war songs, but peace songs. Okay. Songs that make you think about the way we resolve conflict and make you think about why so much of our money goes into weapons yeah. that, are dis that are geared entirely to ending human life. And that makes no sense to me. Mm. I come from a family of decorated war heroes and, and military men in my family. And I'm a monk and devoted to not even letting thoughts of anger rise or dwell in my mind. So I thought uh, Dharma music can definitely talk about that, can talk about alternatives to, to warfare and to, uh, to weapons. And so uh, this song has an edge. It's called Death Parade. Mm. And it's, it's uh, melded into the, uh, the Greenwood Society, the Cruel Mother song. It goes like this. Oh, and it also talks about the Pure Land uh, as a chorus. There's a, mel there's a melody, a, uh, a refrain here that goes, Namo Amitabha. Namo Amitabha. Amitabha is the Buddha of the Pure Land in Mahayana Buddhism. Okay. Namo Amitabha means I return to the Buddha of limitless light. And it's also used as a, as a kind of an expletive. It's like Namo Amitabha, meaning, oh my goodness, you know, or what can you do? You know, it's like Namo Amitabha or Saints Be Praised, kind of like this. So this is the background of this song called Death Parade. Okay. Had a dream the other night, Namo Amitabha. What I saw gave me a fright. Take me to the pure land. The kings of death were on parade, Namo Amitabha, followed by the ghosts they made, take me to the pure land. Their bones were white as ocean gulls, Namo Amitabha, their crowns were set on eyeless skulls, take me to the pure land. The king said, fight for God and land, Namo Amitabha. He put a weapon in my hand, take me to the pure land.
We fought for God as we were told. Namo Amitabha. Useless now my bones are cold. Take me to the pure land. Mass destruction be afraid. Namo Amitabha. Follow in the death parade. Take me to the pure land. God said killing is a sin. Namo Amitabha. Men go wrong with religion. Take me to the pure land. Wow. What a great lyrics. That's a little different, right? It sure is. Okay, let me do just one more. Okay. Let's see here. Um, well, how about... Um, here we go. This is a lullaby. Oh, do you want me to hold that? Yeah, do you mind? Okay. This song was stimulated by seeing uh, orphans in India. Mm. There were three of them, and they, they only had themselves. Um, they were asleep. Uh, this was in a Buddhist holy site in India. And I saw the three of them just huddled together, sleeping, and I was thinking when they wake up, you know, they're still alone. When they go to sleep, they're still alone. And yeah. I was, I couldn't help them. I, I don't, I couldn't support orphans. But I wanted to uh, wish them companions. Mm. So that I thought, if only someone could say to them, you know, the sun is your companion, the moon will guide you home, mm. you know. When you dream, you can ride your dreams and wonder. And uh, when you come back, you know, the stars are there for you. And, and uh, just uh, wishing them well on their journey. And yeah. I just, all I could do was give them a song. Wow. Father is compassion. Father is wisdom. Buddha is the child. Mother is matter. Father is energy. Kindness is the child. When you close your eyes and slumber, you hide your dreams and wonder. The stars in the sky will guide you home. When you wake up in the morning, the sun is your companion. All the world will greet you with a song. Father is the island, waves on the beach are the child. Moon is the mother, sun is the father, light in the eye is the child. Be kind to tiny creatures, contemplate their sound. Love the smallest and you live with love. 
When you, when your eyes are open, may you meet with bodhisattvas. Everyone awakens before long. Father is the paper, Father is the notes, song is the child. Mother is the valley, Father is the mountain, echoes are the child. Now you close your eyes and slumber. I look at you and wonder who you've been, who you will become. May your life bring people blessings. May your words dispel the darkness. May you shine like the morning sun. It's really getting late now, and I don't want to keep you up any longer because we still have one more day to go. We do indeed in the conference, and but I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk with me. And uh, and I'm going to also uh, put your uh, web addresses uh, on on uh, connected to this interview, so people will be able to find you again. Awesome. So I guess until tomorrow morning, um, have a good sleep. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, that's it. That was my interview with Reverend Hungshur. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. Uh, for more information on me, please visit my website, kusala.info. That's K-U-S-A-L-A dot info. If you'd like to hear more of my podcast and see a couple of videos I have posted, uh, please visit dharmatalks.info. That's dharmatalks.info. Uh, if you'd like to download some free ebooks on Buddhism, please visit buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info for free ebooks that you can download or read online. And last but not least, if you'd like to email me, uh, I'll get back to you just as soon as I can. My email address is kusala at urbandharma.org. That's kusala at urbandharma.org. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, until the next time, until the next podcast, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering. <laughs>